the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Living with a narcissist can be challenging. But when that person is your parent, it can damage your emotional growth and the ability to trust. Joining us today to talk about how we can understand and heal from narcissistic family abuse is Dr. Carol McBride. Dr. McBride is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in treatment of trauma. She is the author of several books, including Will the Drama Ever End? Untangling and Healing from the Harmful Effects of Parental Narcissism. Welcome, Dr. McBride. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Doctor, let's begin by defining a narcissist. What type of person would fit that description? Okay. Um, So, first of all, we we have to look at narcissism, I think, as a spectrum disorder. So, um, I'm going to talk about the nine traits that are in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of a full-blown narcissist. But I think we have to keep in mind that because it's a spectrum disorder, there's a continuum, right? So at the low end of the continuum, as you think about these traits, we can all have some of these traits. And then at the other far opposite end is the full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. So the more traits someone has along the continuum, you know, the more problems they're going to have in their parenting, relationships, life, etc. But the uh, diagnostic manual lists nine major traits of the personality disorder. So I'll just give them to you quickly. Um, One is a grandiose sense of self-importance. Two is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, believes they are special and unique and should only associate with high-status people or institutions. Four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has a sense of entitlement, like unreasonable expectations of others or favorable treatment or automatic compliance with what they want. Uh, Six, is interpersonally exploitative, meaning taking advantage of others to achieve their own ends. Seven, the big one, lacks empathy or the ability to tune into the emotional world of others. Eight, is envious of others or believes others are envious of them. And nine, shows arrogance, haughty behaviors, or attitudes. So if a person, you just described nine traits, how would you know if a person is a narcissist? Because any one of these, most people have at least one. So how then can we tell if we are dealing with a narcissist? Yeah, that's a good question, Joan, because I I think there I think there's sort of a general understanding of in in the way people talk about narcissism in, in our culture. And a lot of people think it's just someone who's boastful or arrogant or they they're all about me. They talk about themselves all the time and you know, those things are annoying, certainly, but they're not the things that bother me or what I write about particularly. Because they don't that's not what really hurts people. You can just stay away from those kind of people. But Um, I think the real cornerstone and the red flags to watch out for is the lack of empathy and the inability to tune into the emotional world of other people. Um, Those two things, I think, are the biggest 
I also think um, sense of entitlement and interpersonally exploit exploiting others are, mm-hmm. are two other big cornerstones. You know, Doctor, when, when we talk about narcissism, we always or we usually tend to refer to it as someone we're in a relationship with. And I had never really given thought about having a narcissistic parent. And as you're talking, I can't even imagine what it must be like for a child to grow up with a parent that lacks empathy for that child. Yes, it's very hard to get your head around, (laughs) particularly if you haven't lived it, right? Mm -hmm. But the mantra in what I call the narcissistic family, which means being led, the family being led by one or two narcissistic parents, the mantra is the parents' needs take precedence over the children's needs. So in a, in a normal, healthy family, you know, the parents are there to take care of the children. In the narcissistic family, that hierarchy is reversed, and the children are there to take care of the parents, to make the parents happy, to make the parents look good. Um, so for little children growing up with the lack of emotional tune-in and empathy, you know, leaves them with lots of devastating effects, which is why I wrote this book. Doctor, what do you believe is at the root cause of narcissism? I think it's caused from the trauma the parents had. And I often get the question, well, does that mean that any of us who grew up in a narcissistic family or had a narcissistic parent, does that mean we're all going to be narcissists? And the answer to that is no. But usually it is caused from trauma. And then if people don't wake up or embrace that, embrace that trauma. A lot of people parent, as you know, probably, um, the way they were parented. And so that's why we see it kind of getting passed down the generations because, you know, they don't stop to think, do I really want to do the same thing to my kids that was done to me? What type of emotional damage happens to a child who doesn't get the nurturing that he or she needs in order to become a healthy functioning adult? Well, they end up with internalize negative messages, like I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy. Um, They grew up with kind of a sense of emptiness because they didn't get their emotional tanks filled. Um, They grew up with crippling self-doubt because their feelings were not validated and acknowledged and therefore their reality was not acknowledged. Um, Oftentimes we see adult children of narcissists uh, having complex post-traumatic stress disorder, definitely a lack of sense of self. Um, Oftentimes people come to therapy with this issue, have anxiety because they didn't grow up in a consistent environment, depression, hypervigilance, shame because they carry the family shame because they, they think it was all their fault. Um, They have difficulty trusting because they have impaired trust because they couldn't rely on their parents to take care of them properly. Um, Oftentimes they have problems with relationships and definitely an impaired emotionally, emotional development, Um, emotional development delay, not necessarily, um, not not completely suppressed, but um, impaired. So because these children grow up to have that lack of emotional development, I would think that they might even become people pleasers or wanting to take care of people because that's what they know. Are they more apt to attract a narcissist into a relationship? Yeah, that's a good question, too, because I I believe that when we grow up in a narcissistic family, we learn it's, it's great training ground for codependency. And codependency is, I'm going to take care of you to the exclusion of taking care of myself. So oftentimes, adult children will be, you know, have that level of uh, codependency that they have to work on in treatment. And then do they attract narcissists? Yes, sometimes that's the case. um, Because we tend to be attracted to the familiar until we work our own recovery. And a narcissist can be extremely charming. Absolutely. That's where, you know, in recovery, you really work on learning what to watch for and learning for the, you know, what to, what red flags, you know, to, to be aware of. And what are some of those red flags, doctor? 
Well, again, I always go back to the lack of empathy, the inability to allow someone to be themselves, the inability to tune into someone else's feelings, always wanting control, always wanting things to go their way, um, you know, as well as some of the grandiosity. Is the first step in recovery and and in healing, is that to recognize that your parents were narcissists? Yes, I, I don't think we can really do this recovery unless we accept that something wasn't right, that this parent has a disorder, and that's why the person was treated that way, um, because they can't, people can't really move into um, the trauma work, the grief work, the, you know, rebuilding sense of self work, um, if they don't really understand where it came from. They they just think there's something wrong with them. Do you think the parents are even aware of their behavior? I would say yes and no. I think there are some narcissists who, who are, they know that they're hurting you. Um, they want to hurt people in some way because of their own issues, their own self-loathing. And then I think there are some, some traits that a narcissist doesn't recognize, like projection, because a narcissist doesn't deal with their own embrace and deal with their own feelings. They project them onto others. So, you know, if I'm the narcissistic mother and you're the daughter and I'm, I feel angry and I'm not dealing with my anger, I may be saying, Joan, why are you acting so angry today? <laughs> you know, they just they project. And I'm, I'm not sure they're aware of those projections. I know this is a, a strong word to use, but do you think that this is a form of child abuse? Yes, I do. It's emotional and psychological abuse. And, of course, narcissists can also be physically and sexually abusive as well. So this type of abuse would go unrecognized. If a child were to go to a counselor and the parents look like they're these charming, wonderful parents, how does a child get to be believed in that situation? That's a really good question. The, the therapist has to know what to look for, you know, to see does this child... How comfortable is this child with expressing feelings and really talking about what's going on with them? Can they even identify feelings, you know? Or are they coming from a family where you don't have feelings, you know, mm-hmm. because you're there to conscript to the mold of what the parent wants you to be? So this is why oftentimes people don't figure this out until they become adults. And, and you know, an interesting twist on that, if I might, um, a lot of times people come to treatment as adults after they have their first child because all of a sudden they feel this incredible, unconditional love for this baby, you know, like I take a bullet for this child. And then it dawns on them, like, well, who had that for me? How does someone get through that? Well, I divided this book into three parts. Um, and the third part, the first part is just understanding it all. The second part is understanding the effects it had. And then the third part of the book is the recovery program. And when I figured this out years ago, um, I, I started working on a five-step recovery program that I just have enhanced greatly in the third part of this book. Um, so, you know, I see five steps to kind of working through this kind of trauma. Would you briefly share those five steps with us? The first step we call acceptance and grief. By grief, I mean embracing the trauma. So in step one, we're accepting that the parent had a disorder, wasn't okay, and then then we have to work through the trauma and, and process and feel the trauma. And that takes quite a while to do. Um, then we work on separation individuation, which is step two. And what that means is we have to separate ourselves from this dysfunctional family web, um, psychologically, not geographically. And step three, and of course there are a lot of things we do in all these steps. Um, step three then is I didn't get to build my own sense of self as an adult child. So step three is, um, now I get to become my own authentic self. Then when we get to step four, we deal with now how are we going to deal with this family, our narcissistic parent, maybe the enabling parent, maybe the siblings. Um, are we going to 
we make a, a contact decision, you know, are, are we going to go no contact because it was too toxic? Or are we going to do what I call civil connect, which is superficial, but we still have a connection? Um, and we learn how to set boundaries um, so we can deal with them differently and not be so reactive to them. And then the last step is ending the what I call the legacy of distorted love. Um, like, have I attracted narcissistic friends? You know, what's my value system in terms of parenting my children? And looking at love relationships and patterns and, you know, did, do, do I tend to be a dependent or a codependent in love relationships? And then finally, you know, looking at what, what traits did that person pick up themselves that they may want to really embrace and work on in recovery. So they're really working in the last step on ending the legacy. Doctor, for someone who's listening to you right now and is suffering in pain from that type of upbringing, what do you say to him or her? I say that, first of all, this isn't about hate, blame, anger. It isn't about going and attacking your parents. Um, I think this work is an inside job. I think we really have to embrace our own feelings about it and do our own recovery. I think recovery is extremely important. People can do it with the book because the third part has a lot of journaling and a lot of exercises to do on your own. Um, And then I usually encourage people if they can work those steps with a therapist, that's even better because then they get more validation, you know, and that's because of so much self-doubt the therapist can really validate for them and say, that's not okay, that was not okay. So if someone is willing to do the work, there is hope for healing. Absolutely. And I would want anyone listening to to really know that even though the work is hard, recovery changes your life. The book is Will the Drama Ever End? Untangling and Healing from the Harmful Effects of Parental Narcissism. If you would like to learn more about Dr. McBride and her work, you can visit carolmcbridephd.com that's k-a-r-y-l carolmcbridephd.com or willieverbegoodenough.com doctor thank you so much for spending this time with us thank you joan i appreciate it thanks for having me this is conversations with joan stay with us we'll be right back Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Are you a hardworking, high-achieving, independent, successful woman? But there's one area in your life where you really want to be successful, and it just hasn't happened yet. I'm Odette Coronel, Certified Life and Relationship Coach. I work with women just like you. I can help you create a long-lasting, meaningful, satisfying relationship with your life partner by using my signature life method and reigniting the spark within you. Visit OdetteCoronel.com and book a free session with me today. If disorganization negatively affects your quality of life on a daily basis and you're ready to get help, call Let's Get Organized. We serve clients living with chronic disorganization caused by ADHD, anxiety, or depression. Either on-site or virtually, we help you clear the clutter, create and maintain simple systems, and show you how getting organized will change your life. Call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. 
Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. According to Mental Health America, more than 15% of youth ages 12 to 17 report suffering from at least one major depressive episode in the past year. Childhood depression is more likely to persist into adulthood if gone untreated. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Darren Aletto, a licensed professional counselor who is program director of the Hope and Resiliency Center for Youth Outpatient Behavioral Health Services for Bergen-Newbridge, and Dr. Shahan Siptain, Chief Psychiatrist, Ambulatory Services, and Associate Residency Program Director at Bergen-Newbridge Medical Center. Welcome, Darian and Dr. Siptain. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Doctor, let's begin with you. How prevalent are mental health issues in teens? Um, well, Jen, uh, we know that, you know, it's coming on the rise. And as we talk about the numbers, we have seen like at least one in six in U.S. Uh, youth age between 16 to 6 to 17 years experience mental health disorder. And this is an all-lifetime prevalency of 50% by the age 14. So it's quite uh, alarming. Doctor, do you think that the teen suicide rate is on the rise, or are we just hearing more about it? I Again, if you look at the numbers, you show that it's on the rise, but it may be an iceberg phenomena. It's there and now being more uh, coming out and discovered with all the awareness, especially post-COVID. So, like, it's there, uh, but not discovered. And, Darren, why do you believe this is happening? What is driving the situation? I think that COVID really exacerbated a lot of these symptoms for patients, especially our teens. You know, they're having such a, they're already vulnerable for things such as anxiety and depression. They're going through changes in their body at school and they're in their uh, social life, but now having to deal with the added stress of managing things such as, you know, COVID, um, reacclimating to a social situation after being in quarantine for so long, um, it really just makes things so much more heightened for them. What role do you think social media plays, if any, in this situation? I think social media plays a large role. Personally, we see that kids are so overconsumed and oversaturated with things such as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. They're constantly seeing what their peers are doing, and they compare themselves constantly to what's going on. You know, this one's going here, this one's going there, and what am I doing with my life? This one got into this college, and I didn't get accepted to my first choice. So I think there's constantly this this, this highlight reel of everyone else's life being put in their face that it's so hard for them to identify like what am I doing right and constantly taking their own temperature and seeing where they are and feeling as though maybe they don't add up to as much as their peers so I think it does play a role in self-esteem for sure. Yeah and I wanted to ask that question because I recently did an interview with an expert who studies hate the science of hate and he was talking about how the algorithms for social media are designed for the negative and, and that's done on purpose because negativity increases engagement and it means more money. Do you think that that plays a role in it as well? And, and Darian, I'll, I'll stick with you on this one. I mean, that's such an interesting concept. I never really thought of that, but I can absolutely see how that can really engage someone because we're going to want more of it. Think about how our brain operates too when we're stimulated by things like that. It can be very addicting to keeping going in on that cycle and wanting more and more and more. So I can definitely see how that plays a role. You know, we like to think social media is this place that we're posting all these positive, great things, and it's a you know, instrument of good, but it actually causes a lot more harm than we think. Yeah, I think it started out that way, but it, it once people realize that they can make a lot of money with the negative, I think it quickly transitioned in that direction. And so, doctor, what are some of the warning signs? What should parents and loved ones be on the lookout for? Yeah, no, that's a very good question, actually. Uh, it's something we all should be aware of. 
especially when uh, we know that our teams are going through a lot, you know, we have to make sure that we are on top of these uh, signs and symptoms. And what you can see is uh, like sudden cutoff from their uh, social group or their uh, parents at home or their siblings and more withdrawal from uh, the regular activities. Sometimes there's a dramatic change in the personality or suddenly an appearance changes because they are constantly trying to compete with the peers, as, as David mentioned, right? There's uh, changes in eating habits. There's also sudden, like, act, acting out, behaviors, outbursts can happen at home. All these are warning signs which we should uh, pick it up and uh, sometimes sit with them and talk and try to understand what they're going through. Doctor, is that enough when a child feels that there's no other option but to end his or her life? Is talking enough or is there something more that we should be doing? I think sometimes the initial step is to talk, to understand them, because uh, unless you know what exactly is going on, you won't be able to uh, reach out for help. So understanding what exactly is going on. But at any point you feel that there is dangerousness or self-harm or suicidality is there, and you should reach out to the um, uh, like uh, professionals to get help. The talking is not enough at that point mm-hmm. because there's the reason why they are not opening up and they have come to such an extreme. And at that point, things may be more uh, than you as a parent or family can see, and the professional has to take over. I raised two boys, and boys are notorious for not talking to their mothers, and that's when things are going well. So, Darian, how do you get a conversation started when a child doesn't necessarily want to talk to a parent? Ooh, that is a tough one because I think every parent has an experience once in a lifetime, right? Um, I think the best thing to do is come into the conversation being open-minded, non-judgmental, and not coming in from a place of authority, but coming in from a place of understanding and caring. Letting a a child or a teen know that they can tell you anything and it's not going to result in them being punished, but it's going to result in them getting support and help is so important. I think oftentimes, you know, parents approach the topic with a little bit of fear and a little bit of anguish because they're afraid of what's going to come out. But like Dr. Siptain said, like these are conversations that are important to have because they're the start of us getting support for our teens. And Darren, what are some resources that are available to parents and loved ones? Um, so here at our medical center, we have quite a few children's programs that have, you know, been very helpful. We found a very positive um, outcome with most of our, our those we've engaged with. So what we have in terms of resources for children is we have the Hope and Resiliency Center for Youth, which is a children's intensive outpatient program, which is a three-day-a-week group, uh, group treatment modality that focuses on group treatment with their peers and also includes family therapy, individual therapy, because, yeah, it's great. We can teach kids and we can talk about our feelings here, but it has to carry over into the home if we want to be successful. So that's one of the resources we have. We also have individual therapy here at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center for teens. You know, having that place, that safe space for teens to come and talk to a non-biased third party about what's going on in their life has proven to be really helpful. Not everyone has that opportunity, you know, or has that level of comfort to talk to their teens about, you know, depression or anxiety or changes in their life. So having this, this third, this a therapist can be really helpful for these teens. And doctor, what are your final thoughts on the subject? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Again, I think uh, if I have to give away bullet points from here, don't underestimate that the um, mental health issues in the young teens is actually an issue. Don't just think that this is a school-related problem. Uh, the family and friends um, need to start the first step, uh, open up, understand the warning sign, and um, again, have an approach of more um, like a friendly approach rather than punishing approach when you see any outbursts or any changes in personality. Never uh, hesitate to reach out to professional because, you know, you want to catch it before it becomes too um, aggressive or too complicated. And Darren, where can our listeners go to get more information about your work? You can go to newbridgehealth.org. Please utilize our, our website. It has tons of information. Darren and Dr. Siptain, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We'll be right back. 
An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Getting a health diagnosis can be scary. Studies show that having the right attitude can result in a more positive outcome. Joining us today to help us understand the power of the mind and how we can support our healing with thought is Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner who is the founder of Metro Hypnosis Center. Mary helps people clear blocks, create new habits, and tap into universal power energy for healing. She is the author of the book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Joan, it's a pleasure to be on your show today. So, Mary, when people receive a diagnosis, it it can be a very scary thing. And, you know, we have all types of concerns and fears that come up. How important is it to have the right mindset to take on this experience, to tackle whatever comes your way? Joan, it's so important to create a positive mindset, no matter what the issue is in the health uh, area, your mind is going to be your best tool that you want to feed positive thoughts and you want to be able to bring that into the mind because that's what's going to translate into the body, you receiving things, receiving information. So one of the things you can do is, if you are faced with a diagnosis, is actually write a positive affirmation. So you start feeding the mind positive thoughts so that you help yourself on your healing journey. So by doing that, Mary, will it help us make a shift from fear to faith? Yes, um, it will. The fear is the, the, sometimes we give the fear the power. We don't want to live in that fear, even though it's a scary time when you get certain diagnosis. If you stay in that fear, you give it the power, and then the mind is never going to be supportive for you with the positive. So it's really important to get that power in the beginning to yourself. I'm one of those types of people who doesn't like to take any type of drugs. I don't even like to take a Tylenol. So I always think about what if I get a diagnosis and I have to take some type of a medicine that scares me. How can a person learn to welcome whatever drug is prescribed in order to achieve maximum effectiveness and, and, you know, to not hinder what that drug can do to help? That's such an important question, Joan. Um, Most people don't want to take a medicine if they don't have to, right? So there's many situations that with their health issues that we have to take that medicine. So, for example, I work with uh, many different types of illnesses, but breast cancer is one of the things that I've worked with. And we call, um, when someone has to take the hormone therapy, we call it the golden pill. And we do a whole session on receiving this golden pill into the body, open and receiving. It's very important that you look at the pill as a tool for your healing and that you are open. Because if you take a, a medicine that you don't want to take, your body is going to be sending that message out to the medicine. And you may not be as open to all the possibilities that the medicine can help you with. So it's very critical, even if you were getting IV uh, chemo or something like that, do a little blessing before they um, put it into you. There's many things that you can do um, and to create that relationship, because that's what you're creating with the medicine, and that you can visualize seeing that medicine coming into your body 
and healing you, taking away the cancer cells, shrinking the tumor, all the things that the medicine is meant to. And even with just medicine for blood pressure, diabetes, and things like that, the same thing. See the blood pressure uh, going into balance. See the blood sugars going to balance. No matter what the illness is, how, uh, how severe it can be, there's ways of embracing the medicine to help you heal. We don't understand how powerful the mind is. Something that stuck with me for many years, a, a long time ago, I interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton, who is the author of the book, Biology of Belief. And in our conversation, he had shared with me about a study that was done on cancer patients who received chemotherapy. One group received the actual chemotherapy drug, and the other part of the study, the other group actually received saline. They never got one drop of chemotherapy, but because they were so fearful of the side effects that they had heard about losing hair and being nauseous, that the people who received saline actually exhibited the side effects associated with chemotherapy without ever receiving a drop of the medicine. And that has stuck with me all these years. And that is the power of the mind. Like you said, we all look at the medicine and we all can, every medicine has a side effect. But if we focus too much on all the negative things that can happen to us when we take a medicine, then we might bring that into our lives because we are expecting it, right? When we expect it, things tend to flow that way. So even with something with a placebo, um, where they're giving you the spleen, because you're so worked up about it, you might create that feeling of nauseousness or, or whatever. It is. Not that you're trying to do that, but it's just coming to because you're expecting it. So the power of the mind to be open and the power of the mind to heal yourself is so important. Yeah, because as you just said, if if we have that suggestion and we focus on the negative and we can actually make the negatives happen, just imagine what we can do when we, we focus on the positive. That's, that's right, because we can bring the mind and expand it into healing. And whatever that means to you, healing is different for everyone. So healing could be the visualization of seeing yourself and feeling yourself getting better. And if we can see ourselves taking a medicine and feeling okay with the medicine, but that the medicine is uh, actually helping me feel better and that I don't have those side effects. So I see my stomach feeling calm. So I see that I have an appetite and then I can eat the food. So the mindset really can help support it. And even if you might get a side effect, it might be diminished because you're not so focused on it. Is hypnosis a good tool for us to keep in our arsenal whenever we get a diagnosis? How how can it help us to heal and, and then to move forward after? Hypnosis is a wonderful tool to have. With an illness, first of all, one thing that you're helping with with hypnosis is creating those positive thoughts. You are approaching it from a different place. We want to approach it from a positive space in your mind. We want to be open to the healing that we can get. And hypnosis can help you also release your fears. There's work that you can do within yourself to let go of the fear of the medicine or the fear of dying or the fears that we have. Because it's the fears that inhibit us and that make us even more fearful. So we want to find the balance and hypnosis can help you clear your mind so that you can then allow the positive to come in. And not all the overwhelming thoughts that are coming into you. Mary, how can our listeners work with you? So um, people can work with me online. I do uh, online Zoom sessions for hypnosis, and they can um, check out my website at metrohypnosiscenter.com, and I can help them, whether it's an illness, uh, whether it's a medication, or really any life issue hypnosis uh, can help you with. Is hypnosis just as effective doing it virtually? It is very effective doing it virtually. Um, we create this space. All you need is a quiet space on your end. Um, but that clearing of the mind and that relaxation comes through on Zoom or whether it's in the office. It's amazing how effective it is because um, I think we're all getting used to being on these uh, Zoom environments as well. And the energy and the work and the um, connection we need all comes through the on And once again, Mary's website is metrohypnosiscenter.com. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Is happiness something that happens or something that you create? Hi, I'm Alison Mayotte. I'm a musician, sound practitioner, and the creator of The Sound Life, an app for relaxation and meditation through sound and music. What you believe about happiness can influence how happy you feel. People who think happiness changes over time, that you can experience happiness in different ways as the situations in your life change, are generally more content and have a greater sense of satisfaction than people who think that there are only certain things that make a person happy. It is clear from what I just said that happiness can happen, but it mostly is something created out of a belief system that promotes seeking happiness in different ways as the circumstances of your life shift and change. To feel happy, you need to decide to be happy and focus on things that feel good. What feels good to you? It can be something as small as a chocolate chip cookie. It could be something you commit to every day, like a five-mile run. You make your own happiness one little thought at a time. If it's hard right now to think happy, start by taking a few moments to settle yourself, quiet your mind, and just breathe. Let that feel good. Let yourself feel happy about feeling good. I'm Allison Ayati, and I want to help you be happy. To learn more, go to livingthesoundlife.com. Sound meditation is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. What's the difference between the apple you buy at the grocery store in October versus the one you buy in February? Not only does the October apple taste so much better, it's also packed full of nutrients because it's in season. Now, it's pretty great to be able to go buy apples all year round, but might there be a reason that nature made them come into season in the fall? We're fortunate that fresh produce is on the shelves year-round, but we're missing out if we don't eat seasonally. Here's what I mean by that. As we evolved as a species in Africa, nature enforced our seasonal eating, and nothing grew in the winter. But a bountiful harvest of root vegetables and fruits came into season in the fall to help our bodies prepare for when nothing would be available. So here's the thing. Our bodies evolved eating seasonally. They didn't just endure seasons. They actually developed self-healing bioprocesses that use the seasons. If we don't observe seasons with our food today, we're missing out on some great work our bodies can do for us. I'm Julie Sloan, certified health and wellness coach, and I help people transform their health and relationship with food through a 90-day challenge where I focus on mindset, nutrition, and food psychology. Find out more at wellandgrounded.com. That's wellandgrounded.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes... If a conversation will be stimulating or not, being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Emmanuel Lafasoni, a certified health and life coach who has helped people experience breakthroughs in their health and lives. She's the author of the book, Healing Through Nature's Medicine. Emmanuel is here today to discuss healthy food habits. Welcome, Emmanuel. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Joan. I'm happy to be here. So, Manuela, why do you think so many people struggle to eat healthy? Well, you know what it is from what I've encountered even with myself and my health? Lifestyles can't be changed overnight. So that is really something that needs to be understood. From time to time, you will eat the wrong foods. When this happens, try not to feel guilty and just get curious as to what is truly wanted in that very moment. Many times when we self-sabotage, it's actually due to emotions that we're feeling. So the next day, pick yourself up without 
you know, thinking about it any further and focus on the right foods and the right whole food program. As time passes by and your body chemistry improves, you'll find that the cravings for the wrong foods will diminish your desire for healthy producing foods will grow and this way of eating will just seem just just making healthy choices is just what you're going to do. Emanuela, what are some of the good eating habits that we need to adopt and how can we get rid of the old ones? The bad eating habits, it's it's sometimes the underlying toe of it. It's actually cravings that are coming from either an overload of candida or other things that are going on in your system. And sometimes it actually can be from nutritional imbalances in the body. So sometimes with, with the wrong decisions, it's the most um, conscious things that you actually can start to pay attention to is chewing your foods more thoroughly, you know, um, starting to reduce the high sugars out of your diet and focusing more on a low sugar diet, Um, starting to maybe clean out your pantries because what you have in your fridge and your pantry and your freezer, if you're having that moment of weakness, try to alternate to healthier choices. So clean out your pantries that will definitely move you towards setting up the conditions for success. Even sometimes when we're not honoring our hunger and our fullness, we don't, sometimes we're so caught up in our busy lives that when we, when our body's cueing us to eat, it really, we ignore it, right? We want to push through our day and just get to the next task at hand. By doing that, we actually get into such a mode of feeling hangry, which is feeling angry and hungry. That is when we make bad choices when it comes to foods. And it's also when you actually want to start basically eating whatever's in front of you, pizza, Mm -hmm. pasta, ice cream, etc. Also, just to mention, self-sabotage, right? There's that inner critic in all of us that kind of tells us you can't do it. It's easier to, you know, eat these quick bad foods, right? It's easier to stay the way that we are. So some of the, the three things that are usually that come up with self-sabotage is something else is always more important when it comes to our health. Desiring acceptability from loved ones, maybe being a people pleaser, right? Saying yes to people when they're offering you cake or, or cookies because you feel bad saying no, right? And also sometimes it's that inner critic that's whispering to us, you know what, you've been really good for a month. Why not have that cookie? You can have it. You've done good, so you deserve it. So it's like that self-sabotaging talk. So let's focus on that inner critic for a moment. For someone who's listening to you and wants to make these changes, but is saying, oh my gosh, this is so much work. I don't want to do this. What do you say to that person to motivate him or her? What I say to that person is while our our bodies and lives change, right, after you have kids or you have a high-stress job, you're going through menopause, and many other changes that you're going through in your life, you know, we, we can absolutely regain our confidence in all the places that it's been gone. We just need to relearn how to take care of our bodies in a way that's different. This process doesn't have to make us feel miserable by by doing these crazy diets and crazy workouts. If there is a simpler way to, you know, reclaim the uh, the autonomy we enjoyed before and getting back our sexy the way that we used to. And really, one other thing that I do want to point out is when you're having these moments, right, where you're, you can't, you're saying to yourselves, you can't do this. Take a moment, step back from that moment and ask yourself, is what I am thinking actually true? Can I not do this? Can I not do this for myself? Can I not do this for my family? And then push towards and end that with a positive note. So take notice when you make choices that are not in alignment with this promise that you make to yourself. No need to judge it. Just approach it in comp- it with a compassionate and conscious way. If you would like to learn more about Emanuela and her work, you can visit embodyvitality.net. Or as always, to hear more from Emanuela, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Emanuela Vasoni. 
An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. As a mother, you don't want to have to worry about this bill is coming, but then she needs this chemo. That's a decision you shouldn't have to make. At St. Jude, a family never sees a bill at all. It's like the world has been lifted off of your shoulders. The treatment doesn't get any better than what you receive at St. Jude. It saved my life. It saved my daughter's life. It saved our family. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.